Luke chapter 6, church. You guys ready to dive in as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke as Jesus launches into the public eye? Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. As you turn there this morning, either in your own Bible or the one conveniently provided for you in the pew rack in front of you, let me just say this to you quickly about our kid-friendly summer Sundays. We've got six weeks coming up here, end of July and all through August, where we're going to invite not only our high school and middle school kids, but also our elementary-aged children into the sanctuary with us for the entire worship service. It's going to be a lot of fun. We are going to do some things differently. We've got a lot of creativity and energy that we are pouring into the planning of these services. Um, It'll be a wonderful opportunity for our children's ministry to step back, take a breath, and prepare for a big launch in September. Um, But it'll also be a chance for our kids to experience church with us. And, and most of you in the room, when I say that, are hopefully excited about that and kind of anticipating what that might look like and what that experience might be. For those of you um, who aren't in that camp, I want to speak to just maybe a couple potential groups of you quickly. The first group is potentially the group that is thinking, well, that I just is church just going to be a big children's sermon and it's going to be just kind of watered down, there's going to be nothing to it, and like, should I just kind of skip for the month of August? The answer is no to all of those questions. Um, we are not, we are going to do some adult level stuff. I promise you as a fully functioning mature adult, and that is about half of you in this room, um, <laughs> the women, uh, <laughs> I, I promise you, you will get something out of church as an adult during these weeks. You may get more out of church in those weeks than you do on other Sundays even. So, so, do, so give us a chance there. On the other side of the coin, if maybe you're a parent or a grandparent and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to get my young child to sit still and behave themselves for the entire service? Because you know, Pastor Matt preaches for a long time sometimes. <laughs> Just kidding, Matt. Me too. Um, Again, give us a chance. We're working really hard to make our services engaging and creative and energizing for for your kids. And so please come anticipating what God might do through that time as we invite the children to join us. And um, it's going to be fun. So that's that's all I'm going to say about that. But now Luke chapter 6. Let's get going here today as Luke continues the story. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Luke uh, offers us this moment in Jesus' life where he designates some of his disciples as apostles. And as he does this, there are two key words for us. He says, there's this group, this larger group of disciples, and then for some of those folks, he says, you're now going to be called apostles. Now, a disciple is is a very common word in Jesus' day. We kind of think of a disciple as a very churchy, kind of specific thing. Just a common word in Jesus' day, a word that meant someone who follows and learns from another. A disciple is a person who says, I'm going to do what this person says and live my life the way they declare and demonstrate that life should be lived. That's a disciple. But but an apostle is something a little different. An apostle kind of takes it up a notch. An apostle is a delegate. An apostle is an ambassador. One who was sent 
out. Now, who doesn't just learn and follow, but one who is sent out with a message, to carry the message that they have learned. Friends, in our passage today, Luke tells us that this is the moment when Jesus names his apostles, his core group, his team, his captains, the crew he will look to for leadership in advancing his kingdom message out into the world. You see, Jesus chooses 12 individuals here And he does that for a reason. Why do you think Jesus might have picked 12 to be apostles? I mean, 10 would have been a nice round number. Or or as Pastor Matt said to me this week in a somewhat sarcastic tone, is this just the perfect small group size? The answer is no, no, this is not what's driving Jesus here. Jesus is actually hearkening back to the 12 tribes of Israel and he's making a very pointed statement. Here's what he's saying. I am now going to show you how in my kingdom there is a new way to be the people of God. He's saying, the people of God are now, from this point forward, the ones who follow me and then go out into this world to live and share my message. You see, Jesus is organizing, he is planning, he is preparing for his church to be the church, for his church to go out into the world. And so, this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like for Jesus to start to rally his people, his church, together for mission. Why does he do it? How does he do it? What does it mean for us? What does this this list of guys, of 12 guys, have to do with you and me, Cedar Mill Bible Church today? In what ways, as Jesus' church called Cedar Mill Bible, are we to organize and plan and prepare that we too might go out to live and share the gospel more effectively in our world. Now, as he jumps in, Luke does one of his perhaps most significant things right off the top. Right away, he says something extremely important in the very first sentence of this section. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and spent the night praying to God. And spent the night praying to God. This is actually the only all-night prayer vigil recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Here's the question. Do you notice here how intentional Jesus is about spending time with his Father? I mean, he's Jesus. He's He is God himself, and yet, even Jesus has to carve time intentionally out of his schedule to go away and be with his dad. This is an extremely important moment. This is huge for the church. There is this enormous decision standing in front of him. And Jesus doesn't in this time just lead from his own strength. He doesn't just make decisions using his own wisdom and discernment. And he had quite a bit of wisdom and discernment, didn't he? No, instead, what does he do? He rallies his church from the place of, out of, a deep connection with his father. Now, Jesus lives his life, all of his life, out of deep connection with his Father. But time and time again, throughout the Gospels, we find that Jesus, 
right before big moments of ministry, right before big decisions, right um, at the forefront of, of enormous events, he will often retreat and go away to just get a little extra connection with his dad. A guy I read earlier this week said, those who pray humbly can proceed boldly. I love that. Those who pray humbly can proceed boldly. Friends, about a year ago, right now, uh, Amy and I were not living here. In fact, it was, it was just about a year ago, almost exactly, that we were back in Ventura trying to discern if God would have us to move north. And it was a huge decision. It was a difficult one. It was challenging. But over time, right about this time, I was starting to feel like God was saying, it's, I want you to go. I felt like he was calling and, and yielding and pulling us towards moving to Portland and, and serving here at Cedar Mill Bible Church. But it was an up and down journey. And there was one night in particular where I woke up in the middle of the night, I absolutely couldn't sleep, I was stressed, I was worried, I was anxious, my mind was spinning, and I found myself laying there in bed in the middle of the night thinking, God, are you telling me to do this, or am I just making this up on my own? Is this from you, or is this just something I'm concocting myself? So I laid there in prayer, and all of a sudden, the Lord just sort of put this, this scripture verse, this particular passage on my heart. And I began to reflect on it. It began to give me peace. But then again, the doubt came and I started to think, am I just thinking of this verse on my own to comfort myself, Lord, or is that really you? Do you ever do this with God? Like, he speaks, you receive it, and then you question. Like, it's over and over. And so finally, after the doubt and stress and anxiety started to build again, I just decided to get up. I wasn't going back to sleep. And so by now, it was about four in the morning. And so I just hopped out of bed. I threw my running clothes on because... When I want to hear from God, one of the things I do is go running. And so it's the middle of the night, it's still dark out. I grab my running clothes, I grab my iPod, because when I run, I listen to worship music or other sermons from other pastors. And so I grab my iPod, I walk out the front door, and I click on a sermon from a pastor that I enjoy listening to, just kind of at random, and I begin to run up the street. And as I'm running, this pastor starts to preach. And as he gets into his intro, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I, I know where he's going with this. You ever do that when a pastor starts? Like, you can kind of predict out, like, I know where he's going to land. I know what passage he's going to preach from. I know the points he's going to make, and you can kind of extrapolate. Pastors are pretty good at this. And so I'm thinking, I know where this sermon is going. But then, all of a sudden, right at the end of the intro, this pastor takes like a sharp left turn and lands right on the passage, right on the verse that God had given to me while I was laying in bed. It blew me away. It blew me away. You ever have one of those moments where you feel like, is someone talking to me? I'm serious, this is a crazy, crazy moment. And so I'm running up the street in my running clothes, carrying my iPod, short, short running shorts, really awkward, don't want to see it. And, And all of a sudden this happens and it blew me away. It took me back on such a level that I just began to scream. This is 100% a true story. I just began to scream and call out, again, four in the morning in my neighborhood. My, my neighbors think I'm crazy. And I just began to point and, at the sky and yell at God, You're crazy, God! You're crazy, God! I said like six times, like as loud as I could, as I'm running up the street, You're crazy, God! And my neighbors are like, You're crazy! You know? Because there's just this overwhelming sense that God was speaking and leading in such a profound way. And, and, and I know, friends, some of you were thinking, well, it must be nice. It must be nice, Pastor Dave, to have like a bat phone to God because God never seems to answer me in that way. And I have to tell you, friends, he does not usually with me either. 
But here is the point. When our decisions come out of time listening to and being with God, whether He speaks clearly and powerfully or subtly, subtly and quietly, we can have a boldness and confidence to act in a way that we will never be able to muster up on our own. When we meet with God and seek to hear from Him, it will give us boldness and confidence to move forward. That's what we see in Jesus here, friends. And Cedar Mill Bible Church, I just have to say, let us continue to seek the Lord for the direction of our church and how God is organizing us to be ambassadors and messengers of the gospel in this world so that when He says go, if it's loud and big or quiet and small, we can go with confidence but we'll go with confidence if first we've been with the father jesus rallies his church out of a deep connection with his father next jesus rallies his church to share the message of redemption through them now really i want you to really think about this i want you to really consider this point and the significance of it for us and for you as an individual and i'm going to kind of tackle this in a little bit of a strange way but stay with me here Have you ever thought about the fact that with all that Jesus did while he was here, he didn't write the Bible? I mean, I was thinking about that this week just a little bit as I kind of read this passage and sort of started to think about Jesus' strategy. I mean, if God himself was going to go through all the trouble of coming to earth in order that he might teach us about who he is and and how we're supposed to live with him, you would think that at some point he might have just said, you know what, hand me a pen. Because I'm pretty sure you guys aren't really paying attention. I should probably write some of this down. You know, Peter's talking to his neighbor. John is dozing off. I better record this for you guys so you'll have it handy later. Or at the very least, you'd think he'd turn to John and say, Hey, John, take some notes on this sermon I'm about to give. He never does that. In fact, do you realize that when Jesus ascends into heaven after he's died and rose and then when he ascends into heaven and goes to be with the Father and leave this earth until he comes back again someday, do you realize that when he leaves, zero of the New Testament is written? Zero. Nothing. Not a single thing written down at that point. Now that's pretty bold. That's pretty risky. Especially, especially for a group of people who are used to doing everything by the book. The Jews did everything according to what was written down. And Jesus, he takes off and they got nothing written down. And friends, let me tell you why I believe Jesus chooses to do it this way. I believe he wants to be very, very clear. He has written his message his message of redemption, on to the hearts of his followers. He has passed his message on to them, and it is through them, through his life and message and Holy Spirit in them, that the world will ultimately be transformed. Now, now certainly, part of God's plan is that eventually the Bible will emerge and, and that will be a tremendous tool for the transformation of people into followers of Jesus. But Jesus' primary concern is always this, that his followers actually get the message embedded down into their hearts and souls. That they receive it for themselves so that they can pass it on to people who can pass it on to people who can pass it on to people. Friends, the gospel message 
has and will always live by being passed from real Christ followers who own the message and pass that message on to the generations that come behind them. Friends, I just got to tell you, this is why we are raising the stakes in terms of the space we designate for our children and youth in this church. This is why we are saying we've got to to up the ante on how intentional we are about investing in the generations that come behind us, that will carry the message on behind us. Imagine with me this morning, if you would, imagine with me our gym transformed into an area where kids can't wait to pack in every Sunday to experience worship. And, and, and these are just pictures from other places that we pulled off just to sort of help you start to imagine what it could look like around here. Imagine with me, friends, inviting a family to come with you to church on a Sunday morning. And instead of walking them into a a classroom down this hall, you were able to invite them into a space that looked something more like this. Or, or, Or like this. Next slide. Think about the statement that that makes. One more. Think about what it says about the way we value our children, and the message we're trying to share with them. Friend, listen, listen to, let's hear this. Listen to what pastors Paul and Bethany sent me this week. A lot of our pastors have been just dreaming and visioning and working together to, to come up with sort of plans for the future. And Paul and Bethany are like right in, just a couple months, not even in. And they've been working real hard to get to know people and understand ministry and, and cast some vision for our children's ministry um, moving forward. And they sent me this document this week. And I want you to hear how they begin. This is the very top of their vision document for children. For children's ministry, which is growing and emerging and still evolving and changing. But here's what they write. These are your new children's pastors. I'm so thrilled. At Cedar Mill, our heart is to see each child desire a relationship with Jesus, experience his work in their lives, and learn how the uniqueness of their gifts can be utilized to serve Christ, the church, and our world. We are deeply committed to helping parents disciple their children by encouraging and equipping them in the process of growing our families in the knowledge of Jesus. Friends, here's the truth. We want to continue to be a church that increasingly invites, reaches, and launches young people into a life devoted to God for now and the future. Another thing that that we're planning and dreaming and talking about is, is creating a space in our church that gives our students, our middle school and high school students, a place to call their own. You know, we have this enormous facility, and yet one of the homeless groups in this church are our students. They have no place they can just sink their teeth into and say, this is our space. And right now we sort of got our eyes, we're kind of thinking about and dreaming about the upper level of the East Lobby. Right up there, you know where the elevator kind of goes up to the second floor, Right, right over there, actually. And, uh, and I just want you to picture this with me, friends. Imagine that entire upstairs area, that landing by the restrooms and those two giant classrooms transformed into a youth center that's packed with students who are engaged with our church community, worshiping and serving and learning what it means to be the church, to be Jesus followers, not only here, but to be followers of Jesus when they go out from this place and go into the hallways of their schools. You know what? Honestly, I was thinking about this week. Most of us have forgotten how hard that is. When was the last time you were on the 
campus of a middle school or a high school during school hours. I'll tell you what, it will, it will freak you out. You will walk in and you'll see all the kids in, in activity and all of a sudden you will be transported in time back to when you were an eighth grader and all those emotions and feelings and insecurities and questions will come flooding back and you will think to yourself, I thought I was more mature than this, but I'm really sweaty-palmed and extremely nervous. I'm telling you, it happens to me every time I'm there. Most of us, I dare say, have no idea how hard it is to be a Christian in today's youth culture. Friends, I so want our church to be a place where they can come and be encouraged and trained and empowered for the great task they have as Jesus followers out in this world. And just as just kind of a quick time out here as a side note, do not mishear me. I want to clarify something extremely important. No building or room or couch or cool paint is going to do that in the lives of our kids. But I'll tell you something, and and, and this is an area where Christians often get it wrong. Having the right physical space is part of doing great spiritual work. Having the right physical space is part of doing great spiritual work. And so the question is not, do we need great leaders and mentors and adults to invest in and love our kids on a weekly basis? Or do we need the right rooms and space to do it in? The answer is yes. The answer is both. The answer is we want to be a church that has it all. That thinks through ministry on multiple levels. Jesus rallies his church to share the message of redemption through them. Let's rally our young people that God might share his message of redemption through them as he has written it on their hearts and lives and souls. Next, Jesus rallies his church in this passage to work together. And and I almost didn't include this point because it kind of seems like a no-brainer and it's a little bit of a letdown, like, you know... We've heard this before. But I want you to think about it again. You see, Jesus doesn't just call these disciples, these apostles, as individuals. He calls them as a community. He calls them as a group. He calls them together. Our call is not to just be individuals who go out and do our own thing for God. That is a statement that I believe almost defines American Christ followers today, and so I'll read it again. Our call is to not just be individuals who go out and do our own thing for God. God never says, find it in the Bible, look for it, search for it, you will not see it. He never says, come follow me, and from this point forward, it's just going to be us, it's just going to be you and me, and we'll just sort of do our own thing. No. All throughout the scriptures, the message is clear. If you want to follow Jesus, you are called to do it in community. You are called to do it as a group of Jesus followers working together towards a common mission. You are called to do it as part of the church. And friends, I'll be the first to admit that's not always easy. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's harder to do things in a group you ever have this experience? I have this experience a lot, you know. This would just be easier for me to do by myself. Because everyone has an opinion and everyone has a perspective. And people have all different sorts of experiences and desires and hopes and dreams. But friends, I think that's the point. 
Over and over and over again in the Bible, God shows that, shows us that the struggles and frustrations and difficulties of kingdom advancement with other people are actually part of His plan. That is actually one of the key ways that He helps us grow and change and transform and mature by rubbing and sometimes even grinding up against one another. And not only that, the Bible goes on to say, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to, to partner and grind and rub because of your diversity and because of your varying gifts and because of your multiple experiences and talents and abilities and perspectives, you're going to be able to do exponentially more together than you could ever do just going it solo with God on your own. Church, I have to tell you, this is actually at the center of why we need and must build this new office wing. I know, I know, offices are not inspiring. I, I know your, your emotions are not tickled and your heartstrings not tugged at the thought of spending $650,000 on new office space for our staff. I wish it already existed just like you, but unfortunately it does not. But hear me when I say this, because I've thought long and hard about this message, and I believe what I'm about to say to the very core of my bones. This office space will help us be better together. This office space will help us be better together. This office space will help us organize and prepare for ministry, ministry that God wants to accomplish in the future, ministry that we don't even know or, or aren't even aware of yet. When I was in high school, my dad, near the end of his, his military career, we were stationed in Omaha, and he had the opportunity to be in charge of, to kind of lead the underground command center at Offutt Air Force Base. So Offutt Air Force Base, right in the middle of the country, and this huge strategic air command base, there's this giant underground bunker. And from this giant underground bunker, like, things all over the world are controlled. Lots of things, big powerful things, like nuclear weapons sorts of things, all controlled from this one underground center. And my dad was actually in charge of that place. It was pretty cool. I mean, when I think back on it, he never really bragged or talked about it that much because he was such a humble guy, but it was pretty neat. And, and you couldn't just go in there to visit. I mean, you couldn't just like show up and say, oh, I'm here to see Colonel Teixeira. I'd like to come in. Like, it didn't work that way. I only got to go down there once. One time I got to go down there with my dad and see all the activity and computers and people and things kind of shuffling and moving around to control stuff going on all over the entire planet. And friends... That is kind of how I see our office space. As a command center, as a control center, as a hub out of which ministry can flow. And, and, and this is a space not just for our, our staff. It's a space we've designed intentionally and it's equipped for private counseling. It's a space with multiple conference rooms for meeting and planning and connection. It's a space that tries to maximize collaboration increase communication and provide venues for privacy and reflection and creativity. Our plan seeks to take advantage of some unused space over the hallway out over here in our, in our, west, in our west hall by the lobby. 
And, and it also designates a very clear entry point for the offices where the West Lobby becomes the place where people go when they want to connect with church staff during the week. So you will no longer have to show up on campus and wander about for hours looking for the pastor you wanted to meet with. I apologize again for when that's happened. <laughs> Friend, we have had some amazingly creative people help us design this space and people from this very congregation. And we believe, I believe, that it can take us and empower us and, and grow with us into the future. Now, there's a lot I could say here. I could go on and on and on about how this space will help us be better. Um, but I'll just leave it at that. And, and speaking of together, there's a few other things we'd like to do. We'd like to make some improvements to this room, to help our worship together, to Sound, lighting, production, some things that will help draw people into the presence of God. And maybe you're thinking, I don't need help with that. But maybe the people that aren't here yet do. We'd also love to give our chapel a facelift. The place where our our Spanish-speaking congregation meets. Did you know this? Did you know that Hispanics are one of, if not the fastest-growing groups of people in our area? And here's, and here's what I love about our church. One of the reasons I was drawn to this place is that we aren't just letting another group use our building. Yeah, we've got a Hispanic church and they kind of get to use our chapel when we're not in there and they just kind of use it and we sort of coexist. That is not our message. We are saying something different. We are saying, come be the body of Christ with us. Come be partners in the gospel with us. Cedar Mill Bible Church, let's get one thing straight. We do not have two services on Sunday morning. We have three. Two in English, one in Spanish. And though language may divide us, we are not two churches. We are one church. And I'll just tell you this. Some of you know this already and some of you have yet to discover it. But we have an absolute treasure in Pastor Reuben. He's a humble-hearted, bold Jesus follower, and that church is going places. It is already starting to take off. We'd actually better be careful, because they're going to outgrow us if we don't get busy. And then we're going to have to give them this room, and we'll be meeting in the chapel, and we'll be wishing we'd done more to the facelift over there. I, this morning, I was in early getting ready for my message up, and they, I'm kind of stuck upstairs in there, and, and I was listening to their worship team warm up for today's worship. And I'm telling you, God is doing some work in that place. I walked in last Sunday in between services. The place was packed in energy. And uh, I cannot wait to see what God will do through our Spanish-speaking congregation. So let's invest in those folks. Let's say you matter. And let's give that room a facelift for even greater ministry to come. Not just for the Spanish-speaking congregation, but for all the ministries that happen over there. That, that room, that building was built in 1958 found out that this morning from Pastor Dan. That's like 55 plus years ago. And so for 55 plus years, God has been doing some amazing ministry in that room, friends, and I do not think he is done yet. All right. Last thing I'll say today. Jesus rallies his church expecting resistance. Jesus rallies his church knowing there will be opposition. In fact, if you look back one verse... 
If you look back to verse 11, the verse right before this section, you will read what the catalyst actually is for Jesus kind of going away with with God and choosing his core team. Here's, Here's what pushed Jesus to make this step right now, according to Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 11. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And the murder plot begins. The resistance starts to mobilize. You see, opposition, Luke's telling us, is increasing. The resistance is building. The forces of this world are starting to rise up. And so Jesus spends some time with his father. And together they decide the time is now. Let's start to rally the team. Let's begin to empower and train and prepare the church for what's to come. You see, sometimes... I think we are tempted to read this list of disciples slash apostles and think things like, man, how lucky were those guys? I mean, how privileged they must have been. What an awesome experience to be chosen by Jesus and to get to follow him around and see his miracles and the healings and experience all the teachings, even the stuff that we don't have for us written down in the Bible. They got to hear it all. I mean, how great would it have been to be one of those Let's be clear. This is not like getting picked in the, in the top 12 of the NBA draft. This is not being selected for a life of fame and luxury. Read these names again. Just do it this afternoon. Just read through the names again slowly and consider for a minute the kinds of lives they actually lived. What life looked like for them from this point on. Read their names again slowly and remember how they died. Friends, this was such a tough calling that Luke tells us here that one guy doesn't even make it. One of the twelve, after years of walking with Jesus, bails, jumps ship. Can't handle the pressure of the call. Friends, if you want to follow Jesus, expect resistance. Expect it not to be easy. Expect to have to make sacrifices. Expect to have to make sacrifice. Now, you may not have to give your life in the same way that these disciples gave their lives. You may not lose your family or your community the way they did. But friends, if you want to move forward with God, if we as a church want to move forward with God, we are going to have to make sacrifices. Time sacrifices, energy sacrifices, resource sacrifices, priority sacrifices, sacrifices from all of us. You know... I guess here's the ultimate question for us today. Are we in? Do we want to be a part of what God is doing in and through this community he calls Cedar Mill Bible? You know, and I'm not going to ask you for money this morning. At some point, we're going to have to fund these projects. But today is not the day. Today is the day where I want to ask you to really go, get away, and spend time with God and ask him what he wants from you. Ask him how he, how he wants you to engage. Not a discussion with your spouse and then here's what we could do or here's how much time we have. Lord, get on your knees. Go like, like Jesus and get away with the Father and say, Lord, what do you want from me? Maybe it's something more than what you're thinking of on your own. Don't discern this by yourself. How does God want you to engage with this church moving forward? You see... This is not a sermon about money. I'm asking for way more. I'll say, I've said this before and I will say it again. I'm asking for way more than just your money. 
I'm asking for your heart. I'm asking for your life. I'm asking for a full-on commitment of everything you are to follow Jesus and be a part of his community here at Cedar Road Bible that we might do something greater than we can even imagine. Just like back in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus starts to prepare and organize and rally his People for something great. I believe he's still rallying his church today. Will you join Cedar Mill in where God is leading us? How is God calling you to be a part? What sacrifices will you make? Because I believe Jesus wants to use us just as badly as he planned and wanted to use them. Who knows what's ahead? I don't. You don't. We don't. But if we follow God, friends, we know that it will be great. Not easy, but great. And all for his glory. Amen? Amen. Father, this morning we praise you. We declare again that you are Lord, that you are the leader of this church and of our lives. We ask that that you would speak to us. We'd love boldly, but we'll take softly. Lead us, guide us, direct us. If we're going in wrong directions, change us, tweak us. Unite us together, Lord, even, even as a diverse group of people that we may come together around this mission to make a difference here in West Portland and around the world. And again, God, not for us. Take us out of it. May it all be for you, every single inch of it for you. That is our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name.